Take your Bible to Exodus chapter 7 tonight. I want to say quickly, I want to say thank you to the choir who sang that song this morning, He is Mine. That is one of my favorite songs. I just love it because it says, He is mine. I've been blessed beyond measure, been pardoned, set free. He is mine. I love that. And uh, I appreciate their effort. Thank you for already being preparing, uh, already for preparing for uh, the revival coming up. I'm excited about the songs that you're choosing, the songs that you're uh, practicing now. I think it'll be a real benefit to the revival. So thank you so much for your effort there. Exodus chapter 7 tonight. I want to draw your attention actually to the last verse in chapter 6. And then we'll actually pick up our passage and our text tonight in chapter 7. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 6, verse number 30, And Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh hearken to me? Now if you don't recall, this is going on now three chapters that Moses has really struggled with God's will for his life. God has not really hidden it from him at all. In fact, he's been very forthcoming with the fact that Moses was to go to Pharaoh. God's even gone so far as to fill Moses in completely on how it would go down. And yet, Moses did go into Pharaoh and was shot down as God promised he would be. Now Moses found rejection in this, and now we're back to where Moses was before when he encountered the Lord in the burning bush. And he's saying, Lord, Pharaoh didn't listen to me last time, and Pharaoh's probably not going to listen to me this time. And this is Moses, uh, the Lord's response to Moses. In verse number 1 of chapter 7, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh. And Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee. And Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you. That I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them. So did they. And Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron fourscore and three years old, when they spake unto Pharaoh. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magi- magicians of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight asking for your blessing on the message. Most of all, Lord, I pray that Jesus Christ would be first and foremost glorified through this message. Also, Lord, I ask that your word would 
be quick and powerful and that it would teach and it would rebuke and reprove and it would even edify those that need that. Lord, I can't begin to know what every single person in the auditorium needs tonight, but I do believe that you have led me to this passage and I believe that you've given me this message. So, Father, please use me and, Lord, may you make sure that I stay in tune with your Holy Spirit so that I do not wonder from exactly what you'd have me say tonight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's funny this morning that a preacher used the sermon illustration about the snake because it just so happens I have one of my own about a snake tonight. I want to talk about the time when I was the most scared I've ever been. Now, up until this time in my life, I was a little bit younger, but up until this time that I'm about to speak of, I was not really that scared of snakes. Obviously, every person has to respect snakes, and you, but you may not be afraid of them. And I'd, I would say that that was the way I was before. Well, this particular day, my friend and I wanted to go fishing in a pond out at our ranch. We have a pond right behind our ranch, and my buddy and I wanted to go fishing, and instead of fishing from the bank, we have a small john boat on the bank of the pond that's flipped over. And so what we did is we said, we can probably catch more fish in the boat in the pond. And so we flipped the boat over, we both got in the boat, and we pushed off and we were fishing. Well, my friend had been fishing a little while, and he had broke off his lure, and he was wanting this new lure tied on, and he didn't know a whole lot about fishing, so I went ahead and tied it on. So he handed me his fishing pole up to the front where I was seated, and I began to tie on this new lure. My friend was just talking. In fact, I'd even given him my pole to fish with while I tied on his lure. Well, I'm sitting here doing, you know, doing the short-sighted focus thing, because I'm working right here close to my face, and for some reason, I just see some movement down by my foot. And um, I didn't know what it was until my eyes got readjusted to where my feet were. And it just so happens that there had been a snake in the front seat of that boat, up under the seat, and so we didn't know it was there. And now we're in the boat in the middle of the pond, and um, I see this snake right by my foot. And when I say right by my foot, I mean within inches of where my feet are. Now, as a Texan, you're just taught that if it's close to water, it's a water moxin. That's just what you believe. Now, it could have been a, a I don't even know. I don't even know the red kills a fellow. I don't even know any of that, but I, I've just been taught if it's bare water, what is it? It's a water moxin. That's what I've always been taught. So, we're in a boat, in the water, and all I can think is, there's a water moxin right by my foot. And uh, I cannot begin to tell you the amount of intimidation and fear that went through me right at this particular moment. Uh, as I said before, up until this point, I was not necessarily scared of snakes in the way that I am now. But when I saw that snake that close to my foot, you're probably asking yourself, what did I do? What was my reaction? complete freezing of everything and anything. You say, why? Because I could not find it within myself to move. I looked at that snake, and you say, well, why didn't you just grab it? Well, because you're an idiot, and you would have done that. <laughs> I stand here today as a testament, freezing is not the worst. <laughs> and, and, and here 
a snake right by my foot, and I, I just begin to say, oh my God. And I know you're saying that's probably not the most appropriate thing to say. You're probably right. That was the only thing. And you say, well, that was using the Lord's name in vain. No, that was praying. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and I could not do, could not say, could not do anything else but just that. And my friend in the back, he goes, he's never there. Like, I'm going to let him start hacking with the oar and a snake at my foot. I couldn't move. And just from the commotion of my friend wobbling the back of the boat, um, the snake kind of found out that it was not in a good place for it, and it climbed out over the edge of the boat. And I promise you, for 15 minutes, I couldn't move. I just sat with my hands on my knees going, Why did I have that reaction? Well, obviously because fear can freeze your actions. It can make you lose all train of thought. It can make you lose any type of performance that you would otherwise have. Fear has a, a freezing ability, does it not? Why, as I've studied these passages, and especially Moses' life up until this point in Exodus, the question I keep coming back to is, why is Moses struggling so much just doing God's will in his life? Why? It seems like if God shows up to him in a burning bush and says, Moses, I'll go with you. And he says, you tell him that I am the Lord. I, I'm the Lord of Abraham and of Isaac. I'm that God that will accompany you on your journey. And Moses says, then if I'm against the Father, and now he's come back to the point in his life where he said, I just don't think it will work, God. Why is he struggling like this? Well, the only conclusion that I have is fear. It's caused him to freeze up. Fear has always been the enemy of our faith. And Moses is trying to do what God wants him to, but ultimately his fear is persevering over his faith. What, what is it that could keep you from doing God's will in your life? It's probably fear. Fear of the unknown, maybe. Fear that you cannot see the end result before you embark on the journey. So you just, you, you just have a tremendous amount of reservation about selling completely out to God's will in your life. For some, it's the fear of failure. You're afraid that if you did you would not be what God bargained for. That you would disappoint Him and disappoint everybody else. Those are very real fears. There's also the fear of abandonment. You could feel like if God did send you on this journey, that once you got to a certain point in your life, that all your friends would desert you, but even if they didn't desert you, you would feel so lonely in that moment that you would just feel abandoned. Your fear is a really relevant thing when it comes to our faith. And I do believe that God has a will and a purpose for every single person in this room tonight. And I'm going to talk to you quickly about four reasons not to fear God's plan for your life. I want you to notice, first of all, He will purpose our life. Verse number 1, I want you to see this. The Bible says in verse number 1 of chapter 7, And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh. 
we must be very careful as we study this. It, what's the capitalization on that word there, God? Is it uppercase or lowercase? It's lowercase. So obviously God is not saying, Moses, I will elevate you to equal status with me. Now, in my first reading of this, my understanding of the passage was, God would put so much fear of Moses in Pharaoh's heart that it, sometimes it would be like Pharaoh would reverence Moses as God. But that's not it either because at no time do we ever see Pharaoh act to Moses like he's scared of him or in fear of him. So what's the answer? Well, it actually takes looking at this very specific word. This word is a, a, another word for Elohim, which is a proper name for God, but this is a different word in the fact that it designates magistrates. In other words, rounding it all out, what God said to Moses was, I'm not going to make you like me. I'm not going to make you like me in fellow's eyes. No, differently than that. I am going to make you my representative to Pharaoh. In other words, you're going to have my purpose at heart. You're going to have my plan, my goals, my wishes and aspirations for Egypt and for Israel. You're going to be, can I say it this way? You're going to be my mouthpiece. I'm just going to use you, Moses, as a tool for me. I'm going to send you so that you can accomplish my will in the lives of everyone around you. He was making him his ambassador. Isn't it an amazing thing that God has given us so much reason to live the Christian life? I mean, think of it this way. He not only saved us, but He gave us then a new direction of life. He gave us a reason to live righteously so that we could glorify His name. It's an amazing thing that God has called us and given us a purpose. Sometimes the reason we fear so much not embarking on God's will for our life is we say, well, how do I know that that's a better purpose than the one I'm living? How do I know that following God fully with my life would be better than working for my employer all the time? I'm reminded of this story. A few years back, we had a man come into the church and preach. His name is Ken Bates. Now, when you first look at Brother Bates, he is a, a very strange-looking individual. And the more time you spend with him, you realize that your evaluation is actually quite correct. He's just an odd person. But the reason is, is because he is literally a rocket scientist. He has the education. For the first few, well, for his first career was working for the government as a rocket engineer. And so when I'm across the table from him, you know what I feel? A little intimidated. Because I feel like he's just, I don't know, making me dumb by looking at me because he's so much smarter than I am. And if you remember the way he preached, it, it resembled someone who was a little smart. Do you remember, maybe you remember that first Sunday morning, he says, I'm the hammer of God so smart. And he's like, what? I don't even know what the hammer of God is, but that's awesome. Kind of like Thor, Thor from the Avengers. That's, that's, the only, that's, that's my level of thinking. It's like, oh, I equate it to pop culture. Okay, I got, I'm with you. I'm with you, rocket scientist. 
went to lunch with him. He's just a great guy. And we talked a little bit just, just about sermon preparation, and we just talked about church and faith, and I really enjoyed spending time with him. But the most amazing thing about Brother Bates is his testimony on how he surrendered to the ministry. Well, I surrendered to the ministry under preaching. One night a preacher came and preached, and I felt God's call on my life to be a preacher of the gospel, and I surrendered. Still have the hanky where Dad wrote it down on this night. But his testimony is not at all like that. His testimony goes like this. One day he was flying on a private jet, going from one place where he was working for the government to another. Now, he was getting paid exceedingly well for this rocket science job. And you may say, I don't even think rocket science is how they refer to it. That's how I refer to it, because I don't even know what he did. He just made things go boom. That's all I know. One day he was in an airplane, flying over the countryside, going from one job where he was getting paid significantly well to another job where he would get paid significantly well, in a private airplane, And he looked over the countryside and he said, if God will give me a church, I'll leave all this behind. Really? You leave your career. He went to school for no other reason but to become what he was, was currently doing. And he looks over the countryside, looks down at the world underneath him and he says, what I'm doing now is irrelevant. If God will give me something with eternal, lasting results, I'll do that. You see, God gave him a purpose. Before we met the Lord, we had no real purpose. What were we doing satisfying the lusts of our flesh? And we never could satisfy that. That's the bottomless pit of satisfaction. We would just continue to throw things upon them. It's an unquenchable fire as we just try getting this thing and we go out with this person and we destroy this relationship and we uh, uh, get this habit. That was no purpose at all. But when we met Jesus, He gave us real meaning. He gave us real vision and purpose for our life. Moses was just a, just a shepherd, just, just a nobody until he met the Lord. And it was the Lord's working in his life that made him somebody. God gives you a purpose as well. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, As for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which... I am an ambassador in bonds. Paul says, God has given me the opportunity to be his representative in a wicked culture, in a wicked world. That's purpose. Did you know that even if a doctor cures someone of cancer, that will only last for a little while? One of the greatest miracles in that we can ever pray for and hope for is when somebody gets ill with cancer and then we... We experience that where they, they're relieved of that disease and they, they get healthy again. It's an amazing thing, but did you know that even as great as that doctor's accomplishment is, it will end one day? Because the body that he saved was only temporarily. But when Jesus changes someone's life, you understand it's permanent. It's lasting. It makes a difference not only for a few more years, but for the rest of eternity. It has resounding effects. God
God gave us purpose. And that's one reason why you don't have to fear God's will for your life. Because He's already given you reason to surrender to His will. Secondly, He would provide the assistance. Verse number 1, really, the Bible says, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh. And notice this. And Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee. And Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh that he send the children of Israel out of his land. Now, if you recall, Moses, or, or God never called Aaron. God never asked Aaron to go until Moses said that he was insecure to go. I believe, and you can believe whatever you want to believe as long as it's within Scripture, but I believe that God's original plan for Moses' life had nobody beside him. It was one man interceding and representing the Lord so that he could represent him to his country. But nevertheless, in chapter 3, or in chapter 4, the Bible says, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Moses says, God, I can't go because I'm not equipped to go. You're asking me to be a public speaker, and I'm a terrible public speaker. The Bible says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak, Moses, and uh, I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him, and put my words into his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach thee what ye shall do. In other words, Moses was insecure. He didn't have confidence in his own abilities, which is a great attribute to have, but when we lack confidence in our abilities, we ought to have plenty of confidence in the abilities of the Lord. But Moses said, God, I, I just can't do what you're asking me to do because I have limitations. I have handicaps. I'm insufficient. And God says, okay, Moses, I'll send your brother, I'll send Aaron with you. And he'll help you. And and he'll be be, uh, my representative and he'll be your representative. If that doesn't speak to how much God is willing to go out of his way to help us, I don't know what else is. God says, if you'll just go, I'll even give you things like a crutch every now and again. That's what I believe Aaron was to Moses. I believe it was his crutch. Because as I read on in the passage, I really never see Aaron speaking. I always see Moses becoming more bold in his faith in God, and he's becoming more bold in his representation to Pharaoh. Aaron was a crutch, but does it not speak to the fact that God will help us get exactly what we need to equip us when we're asking God to do His will in our life. God will provide the assistance. Suppose today we have a fire in this building and the, the Joshua Fire Department was called to put out the fire. The firemen slid down. I don't know if ours is two-story. I think it is. It's a pretty big building. But I always just, firemen just have to slide down a metal pole, don't they? It just seems like what you have to do if you're a fireman. In fact, if you're downstairs, you actually have to go upstairs to slide down the pole. It's a warm-up routine to get ready for the fire. 
But uh, uh, I imagine them standing down the pole and they go to the rack where their, their boots and their, their uh, uh, outfit would be and their helmet and they see that their boots and helmets and, and, and uh, outfits have been changed. And, and the chief, uh, all the guys look at the chief and they say, Chief, where is our helmet, uh, uh, a football helmet? And where is our outfit, a trash bag? And where is our boots, just rubber boots from Walmart? And the chief says, well, we've had budget cuts. Taxpayers of Joshua haven't been helping us out enough, and the fireman calendar didn't sell well enough. I don't even know if they still do that. I don't have one. I have to ask Amy when I get home. <laughs> but uh, they look at the chief and they say, Chief, what, what, what are we going to do? And he says, just, just, go, just go with what we got. So they put on their football helmet, they put on their trash bag, and they slide on their rubber boots from Walmart. Probably Dora the Explorer boots, if I had my bet. It's my illustration, so I can make whatever I want to. Dora the Explorer boots. So they go and they hop in the, the truck. You know that nice new truck Joshua got? It's big. It's, it's, it's shiny. They took good care of it. So they drive to the, our church where the fire is, and we see them start unloading everything, and the doors have basically melted together, and we can't get out. And so they go to grab the axe. From, from the uh, truck, and they open up the, the hatch where the axe is, and the, the handle is there, but the axe head is not there. And they look at the chief, and they say, Chief, there's no axe head on the axe handle. And he says, well, we had budget cuts, and we had to scrap the metal on the axe. We just, that's how we afforded the door of the Explorer boots. I said, Chief, what are we going to do? And so they just, he says, here's what we got. And they, they grab the axe handle, and they come through, and they bust the glass. Now the other ones are trying to get the water pumping so that they can put the fire out. And they, they go to the hatch where the hoses are, and they, they lift up the hatch. And instead of seeing hoses, they just see, like, sandcastle-making buckets. You know, like you see at the beach where kids make sandcastles with, that's all they have. And they look at the chief and they say, Chief, we don't have any hoses. How are we supposed to get the water from the tank to, to, to the church? And he says, guys, just use the buckets. We had budget cuts. Now, first of all, how effective of firefighters would they be? Well, when their trash bags melted on them and their boots melted to the ground, I doubt very effective ones at all. But sometimes that's the idea that we have when it comes to God and His provision in our life for fulfilling His will. It's like we think God's going to shortchange us to accomplish these tremendous tasks. Now you understand that if God was willing to send His Son for the salvation of the world, why would He hold anything back when it came to equipping His saints to get that message out? Why would God say, no, you can't have the Holy Spirit's leadership in this door-knocking visit because, honestly, you could probably handle it on your own. He says, just put, on, just put the trash bag on. No! That's not our God. Our God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He's the creator of the universe. He literally sustains this thing by the word of His power. And when we go as a representation of Him, you know what He does? He helps us. And He provides for us. Whatever we could ever imagine, and sometimes even He'll give us a crutch if that's what we need to make it through. He will uh, provide the assistance. Thirdly, I want you to notice this. He will plan our course. He will plan our course. Look in verse number 3. 
the Bible says, and I like this, this is about the second or third time God has told Moses the entire plan of how it's all going to go down. Verse 3, God says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine enemies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. God literally lays out the plan that he already has made. Did you know that the Bible speaks very clearly that God has a plan for you and God has an expected end for you? In other words, God already has the plans made for your life. And if you'll wholly submit to God's will for your life, you'll see amazing, incredible victories along that path. God has it planned out. First of all, in our passage, and I also believe in our life, He has a plan of liberation. He has a plan of liberation. Verse number 4 speaks very clearly that God's plan was to go and liberate the people of Israel. To get them out of Egypt. To, to, to give them the victory over the superpower of the day. He says, Moses, I'm going to send you. You're going to go and I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. But eventually, I will deliver the children of Israel. Liberty. That's a hot button issue in Christianity today, is it not? I mean, everybody seems to be using their liberty for everything but the right thing. It's like we have liberty to do whatever we want to because it's all under the blood anyway. But in my study, I've learned that liberty was never given to us to sin. It was given to us to not sin. In other words, our sin was a prison cell. It was, we were captive to it. We were in bondage to it, the Bible says. We were children of wrath and we didn't have a choice. We, we set our own way just because we were carnal, wicked people. And we were in a prison cell. You know what liberty was? It was the key to that cell door. Now, once you receive your liberty and you unlock that cell door, do you still not have the opportunity to stay in that cell? Are we not free to go about? You are, but why are we still living in the cell? Why are we still captive to sin when Christ has liberated us? Now, now stay with the, the picture illustration. Christ gave us the key of liberation to unlock the cell door, and this is how He was to use us in this world, like He was to use Israel. Open that door and be set free. Now, here's the truth. There's a lot more people in the cells. And what we were to do is step out of that cell and be free so that everyone else in the cell saw you and says, Hey, how did you get out? How are you free from everything that oppresses me? And then we say, Oh, we have the key. God's plan in using you is using us through liberation. That's how He used Israel. God was to receive the glory from Israel, and He was going to use a small nation to defeat great superpowers, and people were going to look at them and say, What do you have? Well, we have Christ. We have God. 
That's how he used Israel. You say, that's not really biblically accurate. Well, you tell me how Rahab came to know the Lord then. They come into Jericho, and they're spying out the city, and the spies get into some trouble. And Rahab looks at the spies and says, you know what, I've heard about this God. And, and you're just walking over every kingdom. And God is giving you everyone. And I know that God has even given you Jericho. Would you spare me and my family? That's how it went down, is it not? Rahab came to know the Lord through the power of God in Israel's life. God wants to use you by giving you power, giving you liberty, giving you liberation, giving you freedom, making you the Christian that you ought to be. So the others look at you and they say, huh, I wish I had that. He's given it to through liberty. But I want you to also notice that sometimes God's plan is to teach another person a lesson. In this passage, it specifically mentions judgment would be placed upon Egypt. It specifically mentions the fact that God would oppress Egypt and that because of that oppression on their life, they would come to know the Lord through that. When Moses first showed up in Pharaoh's court, Moses said, Pharaoh, I come to you in the name of God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God whom I serve. And Pharaoh looks at Moses and says, I don't know this God. Who is this God you speak of? Why should I let you go because of this God you speak of? Well, God says, I'll teach him who I am. I'm going to put him through so much pain, he'll know by the end of this thing who I am. You mean to tell me, Brother Andrew, that God would put somebody through so much pain and so much heartache that they would come to know the Lord through that? Well, he did to uh, the Philistines. So what do you mean? Well, one time, 1 Samuel chapter 5, I believe, uh, the, the, the Philistines take captive the Ark of the Covenant. They take take it into captivity. And the children of Israel don't know where it went, and they, the Philistines have it. You know what they do? They take it to their town, into the temple of Dagon. And they place it. And Dagon was such a weak god anyway. And you say, what do you mean? He was half fish and half man. How manly is that? Okay, so he's a merman? You're bowing down to a merman? You, you think that's funny? That's true. Not only that, but he was supposedly Baal's father. And so the Philistines, they say, look at what Dagon did for us. Look at that, man. So what they do is they take the Ark of the Covenant into Dagon's temple and they set it down before Dagon. And it was in representation that Dagon stood higher than the God of Israel. They were saying, look at Dagon, and look at this God of Israel in inferiority to our God. Well, they close up the, their temple. Everybody goes to bed. All happy. All excited about what's happened. Well, what happens is they open up the temple the next morning, and they come in. And what, what do you know it? Dagon is lying face down on the ground, and he's bowing down to the Ark of the Covenant. They say, that's crazy. I know, that's awesome, right? And they say, man, we got some church mice in here, guys. We got to get rid of these things. They set Dagon back up. 
They say, that was a fluke. We don't even know what happened. And they're excited, man. Our God's better than the God of Israel. They go through the whole day praising Dagon. They lock up the temple that night. Guess what happens the next night? I'm not kidding. This is really happening. They come to the temple the next day, all excited, all happy. They open it up, and this time, Dagon not only is face down to the Ark of the Covenant, and I just love that picture, don't you? It's like, man, God just smacked him right upside the head. I just, I just think God just, just kind of gave him a right, left, right, left. He just knocked him on the ground. I love that. But not only is he bowing down to him, this time he's broken into several different pieces. His arms are broken apart. And uh, the Philistines, they're like, okay, the first night was weird. This is just creepy. So what they do is they start meeting together and they realize that the God of Israel is beating them up. And they say, we've got to get rid of this ark. What is this thing? We've got to get rid of it. And they say, what are we going to do with it? They say, oh, we'll take it back down to the children of Israel. Even the Philistines, the enemy of Israel, understood that day that that God was something special. And it was only through His hand of judgment on them that they learned that lesson. God looks at Moses and says, Moses, I've got to teach Egypt that there's a God, a real God. I've got to teach them that I am He that would redeem them if they would trust in me. And you say, Brother Andrew, that's a long stretch. You're right, it is. But God used Israel as His representative to this world. And He wants to use you in the very same way. You know how many times I've sat at this church and somebody's come to me and said, Brother Andrew, the only reason I'm here is because my wife and I are having trouble. Brother Andrew, I just don't know what to do with our teenager. We just, we kind of got out of church and our teenager's just as disrespectful as we can even imagine, so we just came to church today. You know what that is? That's God putting His hand on people to drive Him to Him. Sometimes I used to drive cattle. You know how dumb cattle are? Uh, They're the dumbest creatures. If there's a fence there, I promise you they'll go face first through it. It can be the tightest fence in the world. It can be an 11-strand barbed wire fence. And just because they don't want to go the direction you want them to go, guess what they do? They just decide to run straight into it and bust through it. It's like Red Rover, Red Rover. That's what they, I guess that's what they think. They're such dumb animals. But you get on your horse, and what do you do? You don't cattle suggest. You don't cattle encourage. What do you do? You cattle drive. You drive them. You direct them to a specific goal, and sometimes you know what it takes? It takes a whip. Sometimes it takes your horse running face first into their head. That's what it takes. God sometimes uses His hand of judgment on people to bring them unto Him. And God was telling Moses His plan, and I believe that tonight we can take Uh, we can take encouragement from the fact that God already has it planned out. And He's waiting for Christians to just surrender. And He says, I've got the plan. Not only does He have the plan, but I want you to notice this. He will power the miracles to occur. He will power the miracles to occur. Verse number 9, I want you to notice this. When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, 
Then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. Now in verse 10, it does. This exact event plays out. Pharaoh asks for a miracle. Moses instructs Aaron to throw the rod, and the rod becomes a serpent. I want you to notice one very important thing. Was the rod still in Aaron's hand? No. He cast it on the ground, and God did the miracle. You know, I've searched the Old Testament, and I've never seen one man perform a miracle. Did you know every miracle ever performed in the Bible that was of God was of God? Men were tools at best, instruments that God used to perform great miracles. But at the end of the day, it was not Peter that walked on the water, was it? It was Peter that walked on the water because God allowed him to walk on the water. And as soon as Peter took his eyes off Jesus, guess what? The miracle stopped. God has always provided power to his children. He's always done miracles to those who would allow them to do miracles through them. I believe this world's looking for miracles. And I'm not saying that in the phony Benny Hinn type way, hit you on the head with a Bible when you fall down saying boom shakalaka. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this world is looking for remedies to problems that they don't have answers for. They're looking for answers to addiction when they go to these uh, places that charge them tens of thousands of dollars to stay there for three months. They think they're recovered and then they get back out and a week later they're still addicted. They don't have the answers. They're looking for ways to solve marital problems and they keep going to marriage counselors and they still come back angry at one another. And As soon as they get to the house, the problem is only festered even more than it was before they left. They don't have the answers. Look, God's not asking you to perform miracles. He's asking you to allow Him to perform them. Did you know there's even a time in the Bible where God encourages His children to just go and blank their mind out so that he could speak through them. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 10, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. He says, I'll send you forth to do something that's very dangerous and very hard. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils. They will scourge you in their synagogues, And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for testimony against them and the Gentiles. Notice this. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak. For it shall be given you at that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. In other words, God says you're going to be asked questions that you cannot answer on your own. You're going to face problems that you can't solve on your own. So what do you do? Do you search your textbook to find the answer? No. Do you consult your preacher to find out what's the best avenue? No. You trust God for the miracle. That's how it works. That's how power in the Christian's life has always been achieved. You say, my flesh is so weak and the spirit is so strong. And you trust God and His spirit and leave your flesh behind. I'm almost done, but I want to do this tonight, and maybe it'll help you picture this and identify with this. Brother John, Jeresh, can I ask you to come right 
right up here. I, I chose you out specifically for this, and I, I think that you'll be a good illustration for me. I'm sorry that I'm calling you out, and hopefully it's not embarrassing to you or anything. Um, okay, Brother John. Now, Brother John, everybody can see. Maybe you don't know this, Brother John. He's a farmer. He, he works in uh, fields, and he plants, and he plows. And I tell you what, he's just a good old country boy, and I like him a lot. If you don't know him, you ought to get to know him. He's a good guy. But Brother John is a pretty big guy. Would you agree? I mean, I mean, he's pretty big, Brother John. Anybody ever told you you're pretty big? Pretty big. I'm not talking about big in a bad way. I'm just talking about you're big and like you've hauled some hay before. Right. Right? That's what I'm talking about. Now, tonight, if me and Brother John, which this would never happen, but if me and Brother John got cross, and I said something about his mama, and he didn't like what I said about his mama, I would never say anything about your mother. I'm sure she's, I'm sure she's a lovely lady, Brother John. But if somebody did something, and, and me and Brother John got into it, now, I'm going to take a church vote. This is the first church vote we've had in years. How many people think that I would win the fight between me and Brother John? Say amen. Nice. I appreciate that, brother. Is that because you want to go bow fishing with me again? Is that what? That was the only reason that brother raised his hand right there. So if you think Brother John would win the fight, say amen. Appreciate that. Some of you could have done a little less on the amen. I didn't ask for a hearty amen. I just asked for your vote. And you're like, <laughs> weekly. Like that's that's how that felt. So Brother John, I think they're all for you, brother. I think they all think. Yeah, it was it was close. We're gonna call it fifty-nine forty-one. Fifty-one forty-nine. I guess fifty-nine forty-one would work as well. It equals hundred. So that's fine. Everybody agrees with me that Brother John's probably gonna win this fight. And I would just say this, Brother John probably has a little bit more experience fighting than I do. Just an assumption, but I've never been in a real fist fight, so I probably would go in there slapping. I really don't know how I would react, but I think Brother John probably has me not only in physical strength, but also in, in uh, technical ability. So that's pro- I would agree with you. So y'all win. Now here's... Here's what I want to show you tonight. Um, can I get you, Brother Joe? Brother Joe now is going to be on my side, okay? Now, Brother Joe may not look like the biggest guy in the world, but if y'all think I want to win a fight with Brother Joe, y'all are crazy, okay? This boy right here could just take me down, I have no doubt. Low center of gravity is what I would, you know, credit that to. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little top-heavy. You know, the bigger they are, the harder they fall type deal. Okay, that's good. Now, there is a chance, however, that me and Brother Joe could lose to Brother John. There, there's a chance. I mean, I've never seen him fight, but maybe he's, maybe he's a black belt. I don't know, but he could be very talented, so who knows? Brother John, can I ask you to come join my team? Now, I know Brother John is not much of an addition to this team. Stand on him right. Go for the neck. That's my Brother John down the ground pumping that pain pump, man. <laughs> Alright. So Brother John where at first was much, much favored in this battle. I mean, yeah, it was it was obvious y'all chose Brother John. Now now it's looking like I have a chance, right? Now there there's still a possibility 
that Brother John could take us down. There, there's a chance. Brother Bowery, can you join my team, brother? Yeah. Now we're, now we're doing all right. Brother Adam, Brother Troy, Brother Chris. Now, I'm not going to tell you what I have on my team now, but I have it, just so you know. All right. Let me ask you a question. How many of you think that if these guys were fighting on my side, Brother John would win? No. That, one. One. She thinks I said, do you want candy? That's the only reason she raised her hand. Okay, look, look let's get kind of, let's... Stay with the illustration. The reason that y'all all know that I would win now is not because I've changed. What have I? I'm still the skinny, red-headed, high-pitched voice guy that I was before. What's the difference? I've got some people backing me up. You can be seated, guys. Thank y'all. Look. While we in and of ourselves may be weak, and exceedingly weak at times, and, and even overmatched, did you know that the Bible says, though hand join in hand, the wicked should not go unpunished? In other words, the Bible saying it doesn't matter how many people are on their team, our God is stronger than them. Now, it, it's as simple as this, but we make it much more complicated. The Bible puts it this way. If God, if God be for us, who can be against us? Who stands up to that? I know Pharaoh didn't. Look, the will of God is a fearful thing for a lot of people. And it's, it's very intimidating. But at the end of the day, you have to understand, well... While the, the enemy and the adversary may be so overwhelming at times, you know the truth? God's backing you up. And even better than that, God's leading you. And God's in front. Oh, it's an intimidating thing. But I just choose to believe that when I'm in need of a miracle, the miracle worker will come through. 